loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Lindsay Whistle Fenton. Lindsay's a senior producer and director at WPSU in Pennsylvania. She's an award-winning storyteller, and she has explored a wide range of issues through her work in public media. Most recently, she produced, wrote, and directed Speaking Grief, a multi-platform initiative aimed at creating a more grief-aware society. Select other projects include A Time to Heal, Pennsylvania Folklore Woven Together, and You Can't Say That, which was among eight U.S. programs selected to screen at the 2013 International Public Television Screening Conference. Uh, She was honored with a Mid-Atlantic Emmy Award. Fenton also serves as a host for the WPSU-FM series, Take Note. Born and raised in Buffalo, New York, she currently lives in central Pennsylvania with her husband, Casey, and dog, Birch. She enjoys rock climbing, practicing Shotokan. Is that, did I? Yes, that's right, Shotokan. (laughs) Shotokan karate and working on her house. She earned her BA in Cinema and Digital Arts from Point Park University and an MED in Learning, Design, and Technology from Penn State. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks so much for having me. I have I have to laugh. I'm like, yeah, I, I do enjoy those things, although I haven't in some months <laughs> because we're <laughs> under quarantine. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's impossible. Even though these shows are going to be, uh, uh, you know, there in perpetuity, <laughs> It's impossible to get through a, uh, a, an episode without referring to the fact mm-hmm. uh, that we're going through what we're going through. And I'm sure it's changed the rollout of this film. Yes. Um, it, well, in, in some ways it has. Our, our broadcasts, thankfully, have, have gone through as planned. But yeah, we had a lot of um, events lined up and, and screenings at, at other events, at conferences and things um, that we were uh, planning as part of the rollout, but now I think it's, it's not that things will be canceled. They'll just be postponed and will be happening uh, later in the year. But one thing I've appreciated, um, in this time is that, you know, you and I are both pretty focused on increasing the grief conversation, making it more talkable, uh, making, uh, opening it up for people and, I have noticed that that groundwork has led to um, much more out there about the grief of this time. Uh, uh, this past Sunday, the New York Times had, you know, 100,000 deaths and uh, kind of a, a public memorial uh, on their front page. Um, but it's also, uh, there's an article came out that said um, that discomfort you're feeling is grief. I, I feel as if um, a larger number of people are identifying that what they're in is grief, that we've lost those lives we had a few months ago at the least. 
Absolutely. And it's funny you referenced that article. I've mentioned that uh, in, in a, some several interviews and conversations because I, I've become very big on just naming our experiences as grief because I think that helps spur this conversation forward because I think we don't often, especially with our own experiences, I think we tend to downplay things. And I think, you know, actually recognizing that, uh, you know, a lot of what people are feeling right now are grief responses is is really helpful. Um, but it's, it is ironic that this is when this project rolled out because I started working on this. I want to say back in 2016 was when it first got started, um, in terms of research and starting to think through what it could be. And it was not in the mainstream grief was not in the mainstream conversation then. Um, not and, except for those of us who talk about it all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, not 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 in the way it is currently. Um, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So yeah, so because people have been commenting, they said, "Wow, you know, we need this right now." I said, "Yeah, it, it's we did not plan that. I don't think we could have planned, you know, that this is when the rollout would happen." Um, but you know, in some ways, it's uh, I guess you know, if any silver lining can come, it's that I think people are more open who don't talk about this all the time, people are more open to starting to have these conversations. And, and again, to even recognize how often we have grief experiences and grief reactions that maybe we don't even um, acknowledge as being grief. And I think also I was, I was, you know, thinking as I watched the film, just um, about all the people I work with, since I'm a grief counselor uh, and a radio host, uh, I've, I've noticed that people who have uh, grieved a, 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 and are still grieving a significant loss and found their way to a new way of coming at life, if you will, which I, I think would apply to everyone that you interviewed, honestly, the people that are in your film. Um, we're actually in a strange way, uh, you know, our, our buttons, our grief buttons are being pressed, but in a strange way, I know how to do this mm -hmm. you know, in ways that some other people that I'm encountering don't. I know what it's like to feel trapped by circumstance and, um, you know, be up against things I can't change. And, you know, all of these, I've kind of learned how to, how to live with that. Um, so I was thinking, I wonder if that's true of the people you interviewed. You know, this is not entirely new to be up against those things. Yeah, and I've been in touch with, uh, I've stayed in touch with a lot of the families, um, some to more extent than others. Um, and, and yeah, I think this is such a triggering time for people. And I think both in, in terms of triggering the grief, but also just the isolation. Um, sure. You know, if you are already in a grief experience, um, this is, this, this just presents so many challenges. And I was actually uh, participating in a webinar for the last, um, for, uh, throughout the month of May for, um, spiritual directors international. And, and a lot of the discussion was around how to support and, and still give that companionship to people as they grieve when we can't see each other, um, you know, and we can't Absolutely. have the traditional connections. Absolutely. I, I, I'm not minimizing that it's also brought up grief. Yeah. <laughs> Just that I kind of do have some idea what helps me in in situations like this. I what I what I am thinking a lot about is people that are losing folks 
um, to COVID who can't do the things they would have done to take care of their person to, and that one of the most dangerous environments right now is is an environment that people go to to stay safe. Mm -hmm. A lot of people go to uh, care facilities because their families and sometimes they feel that they're not safe in their homes, right? Mm-hmm. So it it just seems staggering that then that's the place that's the most dangerous. Yeah, it's a it's definitely um, it's a strange time, and I think you know it. Uh, one of my you know bigger griefs during COVID is that my parents live out of state and are older and are you know each have their own health issues and and different immunocompromised. Um, situations. Um, and it's hard to be away from family and just have that comfort of seeing people. Um, when you're scared, obviously I, I I'm so thankful for FaceTime and zoom. We never used to FaceTime and now that's a big thing. Um, Absolutely. but I know for me, and one of the things this project has given me language for is that my whole life, I've sort of had this anticipatory grief with my parents because they were a little older when they had me. And, um, you know, and so this has definitely, I think, triggered some of those I don't want to say fears, but just thoughts, um, you know, awarenesses. Yeah. Trying to appreciate the time you have with people. That's, that's interesting because I have three kids. They're all adults. Um, they all wanted to come home, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and that is not, and that is not typical. (laughs) Yeah. And there was just a really, uh, big increase in their sense of our vulnerability. Mm. Um, that I think, you know, and, and, um, of course my wife died, uh, Mm -hmm. but, but that wasn't where they were living before this happened. Mm. And so that's familiar to me personally, you know, yeah, we just want to be with our people. Yeah. Right. And it becomes clear that we are each other's people, you know, they're, they're all busy with their lives. So they're not, they're thinking about their friends, they're, you know, they're thinking about their careers, all of that. It's, it's become very prominent that we are each other's people. I'm not saying we weren't before, but it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't yeah. uh, front and center every day. <laughs> I remember, I don't even remember where I read this, but years ago, I read a quote that said the way to increase your appreciate your gratitude or appreciation for anything in life is to put a question mark after it. And I feel like that's, <laughs> that is what this, this pandemic has done is, um, yeah, our people, our family, yeah, not even to do anything profound, just to go sit on the couch with my parents and, um, and watch a movie. And, and incidentally, they had just moved out of my childhood home like a month before all this happened. Oh so gosh. as you were saying, it's not their place. Like, yeah, it's not even about going to the physical space. It's just, you know, when it, yeah, stuff absolutely. hits the fan, you want your people around. And so that that intersects a little bit with this awareness that uh, comes with being open to the conversation about grief, which often comes as a result of big grief, uh, being willing to reckon with the fact that we'll lose everybody, you know, that death is real and, and happens that, oh, I want to, it's precious, you know, comes from that, um, that thought, which we're, we all can't avoid at the moment, I guess, much more than usual. Yeah, yeah, that kind of spoiler alert, we're all going, going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that's, um, 
you know, that's something that's been interesting about this project and my work on this is that I, although I actually, I was doing another interview and she said after, she says, don't be, don't be so quick to say that you haven't had any griefs because as we were talking, I said, no, you know, the, obviously I've had loss in my life. I've had people I love die. I've had um, people I love go through, you know, what could be terminal illnesses and knock on wood haven't been yet. You know, I've, I've been through my share of things, but I haven't, I hadn't, I haven't lost one of my, um, you know, like immediate core people. I haven't lost a, a parent or a spouse or a sibling or child or close friend, um, you know, however you want to define core person. And I, what's been interesting with speaking grief is that I think there tends to be this assumption that I have, and that that is why I was so passionate about this project. Um, that would even come up in research calls when I was early on in the project and talking to families or people we were you know, thinking of interviewing is either, either they would, I I could, they would sort of hedge and I could tell they wanted to ask that question, you know, like, why are you doing this? Or they would come right out and ask it. Um, And I used to feel kind of funny about that. Like, you know, I didn't have um, a right to be working on this or that, you know, I, I I don't know, didn't have like the street cred for lack of a better term, you know, and I, I, but now I'm like, well, no, this, this actually, that speaks to why we need this project is because we assume that the only reason people could or would care about grief and, and grief support and showing up for each other um, is if you kind of live in that space and you've had that sort of really profound um, life shifting yeah. loss. And, and to the contrary of what you're saying, when people are willing to go into the space of talking about grief who haven't had life changing loss, I really appreciate it. Oh, thank because, you. I mean, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> So before we take our break, I'd really like to um, just let people hear a little bit the the tone of the film. And I thought we could maybe share a clip that uh, Alicia, who, by the way, I love because she's kind of a heartful professional, I guess Mm -hmm. I want to say. Um, Could we could you lead us into that and, and then we can share that clip? Sure. Yeah. Alicia Alexander, she's a, she's a grief uh, advocate, um, grief and inclusion advocate um, that ha- that was is featured in the film and has also served as an advisor for us uh, and has just been wonderful. She actually did a training with our whole team at the start of this project to get us in the right space and give us some tools for interacting with others, but also for taking care of ourselves. Um, and so this clip is something that, that comes early in the project and really distills um, what we were trying to do, which is explore grief as a universal experience, but also as something that is so deeply personal and so uh, unique to every, not only every person, but every loss even for that person. So, um, so this is, you know, almost like the, the thesis statement of what we're trying to do. Let's let people hear that. Grief is the universal response to change. All of us do it, but we do it differently. It's unique. The phases that grief has been described to us as may or may not fit. And we have to give each other permission around that so that we can really present ourselves as supportive and safe. Because we can make it unsafe for each other with having an expectation around what someone else's grief journey is. 
that's so important. And it made me think, I recently interviewed Ken Ross. Uh, he's Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's son. Mm. And the, the, the question I most wanted to ask him, you know, she she's known for the five phases mm-hmm. of grief and all of that. Um, I, the, I most wanted to, to ask him why she called them stages. Because mm. what, what Alicia is talking about is it doesn't go in order. You know, there's, it's so much more um, crazy than that, right? And all yeah. over the place. And this is what he told me. When she wrote the book, she was not a very good uh, English speaker. She had just mm. emigrated. And so she used the dictionary to try to um, capture concepts in words. And, wow. and actually what she was, was thinking about was aspects. Oh, she I herself, Yeah, she herself, even when, because she originally wrote um, a book about dying, right? Mm-hmm. And even in that space, she was not thinking of it as an ordered process. I find that fascinating. That is a really important distinction. And yeah, we've, we've tried to pay a lot of attention to words in this project. So I'm going to share that with my team. I actually made a note. I, I just blew my mind. I really. Oh, yeah. Well, because it makes sense because all of the, you know, the stages, aspects, whatever, they're not wrong. You know, like that's. that's they're, at, they're aspects. Absolutely. Yeah. That's it's just yeah. Not a process. Because I mean, everybody, you know, that I talked to, especially one of the big things that came through loud and clear in this is that how common anger is. So I'm like, yeah, that's a part of grief, but it's not like something think you complete right. and then you never get angry again. Right, um, exactly. Let's take a break and then come back to that. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Uh, please like my page on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, all of that good stuff. And you can sign up for my email list. You can also find my novel, An Ocean Between Them, which is about family relationships and loss. To find Lindsay Whistle Fenton and her film, go to speakinggrief.org where there are lots more resources besides just the film. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been speaking with Lindsay Whistle-Fenton about her recently released film, Speaking Grief. Uh, 
I, I appreciate the opportunity. I've been sharing that little tidbit from Ken Ross as often as possible, <laughs> because one thing that you captured well, and that is, is something I, I truly uh, believe and have experienced is that uh, grief is not orderly. Um, that, that it has its own, it, it demands to go in the direction it wants to go. And part of the biggest trouble for many people in grief is that they're used to conducting themselves in a much more orderly fashion, uh, and, and maybe even pushing away some things that in grief, you just can't, it's just too big. You can't. Um, yeah, and we didn't want to we didn't want to beat up on on poor Kubler Ross because, as you said, you know we I know that that's been taken out of context. So we wanted I thought Alicia did a great job. We wanted to touch on it and acknowledge that that's out there, and that's usually the extent of people's thought that they've ever even given to grief that they haven't had you know that experience themselves. But because um, again, the the experiences are not wrong. They're the, every you know all of those stages. I think have different places and different points that people connect with them in a grief experience, but it's just not, yeah, it's not a, it's not a checklist. And there are other, uh, there, there, there are surprising things that happen. Um, for instance, in, in my, I had 10 years to get ready to grieve. So (laughs) I really want to take note of that. You know, my wife was sick for 10 years and she was considered terminal that entire time. Mm -hmm. I think that really affected my grief. But, um, you know, it, 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 uh, it struck me how much gratitude and joy there was. I mean, there was a lot of pain. I'm not uh, diminishing that, but I was so grateful for the time I had with her. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Um, the joy was when I would remember, it was always double, right? Mm-hmm. If I remember something, it's painful, also joyful. Yeah. And we, uh, we wanted to explore that too, is that I think again, along with living in a culture that loves, like, as you said, organization and process, um, we also, we like to kind of make these binary things of like the good feelings and the bad feelings and that, you know, grief and joy don't have any place together. And that's something that came up a lot. Um, and, and Megan Devine is another author that we included in the film and she talks about, uh, being specific in the the use of the word and and saying that, you know, you can have a sad feeling and a happy feeling, not but, you know, a happy yes. but sad, that that these two things can sit by side, side by side, which is something I think we don't, we don't know how to wrap our heads around. And I think that can um, inadvertently kind of poison the well of how we approach grief. And I think just touching back on the, the Kubler-Ross and the stages, I just think that was something that we wanted to find a way to address because I think having any kind of expectation like that does a disservice to everyone involved. I think as a support person or someone who hasn't gone through that experience yourself, you're, that's all you know, right? So you hold on to that and you think, okay, well, I have to help them complete these, these tasks so they can you know, be done and move on with their life. And then I think as, as someone who is grieving, you look at that and think, well, I need to complete these things so I can move on. And I think just re, uh, recalibration of what we expect of grief um, is, is a good place to start for both of those uh, roles. Especially because then it, I think it favors supporters of a grieving person coming with a question instead of an answer. 
Yeah. Oh, I love that. Uh, you know, because there is no answer, but there mm-hmm. are questions like, how are you doing today? <laughs> I, yeah. I, always, I always like to answer, uh, you know, add a day because mm-hmm. <laughs> how are or you doing right, right now? How, yeah. Or just, yeah. How is right now for you? Or, um, yeah. So yeah, I think the curiosity and, um, and this was, you know, this was a balance we really tried to strike because I, I think one thing we really did do is that's a little different than other things that have been done on grief is really trying to make this something that people could connect to from that support population. So we didn't want to shame people, but we did want to express, you know, how dire the need is for us to get better at this, but that, you know, that you come with answers because you think you're supposed to. <laughs> so Absolutely. I think I love that. Come Absolutely. With questions. And I feel you did a good job of of kind of saying, of course, we don't know how to do this. <laughs> I mean, there's no grief course in elementary school, right? Or <laughs> you know, in college or in there's not even an emotional intelligence course, which would really be helpful, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, by and large, no, we don't get uh, we, we don't get the chance to learn those things unless it happens to our family. And then we have the problem of no one else knows how to handle it. And even for, yeah, as you're grieving, that was something that was really heartbreaking was a common refrain of people saying, because we don't ever talk about this, that even in their own experience, they, you know, were like, am I going crazy? Am I failing at grief? Am I doing this wrong? Because we don't create um, an open-ended sort of space or conversation around the uniqueness of grief. Um, so on both ends of that, it's, it's just by not addressing how, um, diverse this experience is. It's, it's like all of us feel like, yeah, there's this, these benchmarks or this, you know, certificate we're supposed to get when we do it right. It's like, there's no such thing as doing it right. It's doing it, you know, I, I would like a cash award. Uh, yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm remembering right now. I'm, I've mentioned this before. I had a, uh, I've done cancer groups on and mm. off for 30 years, uh, support groups. And that's a loss experience also. I know you focused on death, but illness is also a loss mm-hmm. experience. I have only had one person ever say that their their friends supported them just as they would have liked. Mm. And so when the person said it, I was so shocked uh, because in parentheses, uh, it's not a great time to train your friends when you're having a big loss. Mm-hmm. You know, it, a mm-hmm. lot of times people just step away. It's too much. But so I said, wow, that's really unique. That's really unusual. And uh, how did that happen? You know, how did you end up with such incredible friends? And she said, well, two years before that, my mother died. Mm. And, and people either changed, either learned how to support me or they were out of my life by the time cancer happened. I thought that was very uh, notable. It, it has stayed with me for years now. Um, yeah. That that really a training process had gone on in her community about what, and I guess she must have persevered with enough people because she had quite a good support network. Uh, people had learned, so we, we can learn it. Yeah. yeah, we can. And I'm so impressed by the the graciousness of so many of the people I talk to, you know, some of these stories, some of which are in the film, some are on the website, and some are just in private conversations where, you know, not only do people fall short, but you know, that are, 
really on the more hurtful end of things and, and having the grace to, to kind of help train your, your support network, um, is just really a profound act of, I think of love and, um, generosity and, yeah, I've been, you know, I, I, as you said, illness is a different sort of grief experience. And that's another thing that we struggled with in the project was how big of a net to cast in terms of the different types of grief we were looking at. And from a more of a practical and logistical standpoint, we just decided we had to um, narrow in on death related grief. And then, you know, there might be opportunities to explore different things later on. But my mom is a, um, She's a two-time breast cancer survivor. So I've had, um, you know, once when I was, I think the first time I was 17 and then once about five years ago, um, you know, in different, different levels of people being able to support you. And, um, you know, and, and I think at the time, especially when I was younger, not having the foresight to sort of coach the support that I needed and, and, you know, um, it's not easy. And as you said, that's you, you're usually in kind of an emotional state. So it's not really the time <laughs> to be trying and to teach somebody. It's true. But I have also uh, been aware because my, my wife died when I was 42. Mm-hmm. So many people in my life had not had um, substantial loss experiences. Uh, mostly the people who had were the ones we met because she had cancer, right? But over time, our community learned, um, but some people didn't make it. (laughs) (laughs) That's just the truth. But I've noticed that as I've gotten older, uh, more people have had those experiences. And so I am much less alone. Like if we didn't, if we didn't kind of um, participate somewhat in training our community, we were going to be isolated. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had to. <laughs> but um, now I find more people just get it off the bat because they've been there and they, they have a little more sense what works and what doesn't and all of that. So, um, the, yeah, good, I, good news and in the bad news. <laughs> it's a hard, it's such a hard thing because you know that people, you know, when people mean well, and it's like trying to have that compassion for, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to, um, it actually wasn't even one of my mom's actual cancer journeys, but uh, another cancer scare she had. And right after I got the phone call and was in hysterics that she might have a, another kind of cancer, a friend of mine said something about diet and nutrition, you know, and, and it was like such a disconnect. And basically, I'm like, did you just say that, like, my mom got cancer because of her nutrition? <laughs> like, yeah. And I was just like, and it was something in the moment I think was meant to be helpful. But that always stayed with me that I was like, maybe not the best thing to say when I'm crying hysterically. You know? <laughs> yeah, there's a great page I'm always recommending in this book called There's No Good Card for This. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I love that book. And there's one page, what kind of non listener are you? Uh, their their theory is that everyone is at times a non-listener uh one of them is um unsolicited sage advice Mm. (laughs) you know yeah I think that's a really good one that is yeah I love that non-listener well because right even I think if you have been there and you um maybe have had a little more um you know school of life experience um even the best of us like we have times when for whatever reason, we can't be fully present. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a work in progress for sure. And, and it's worth admitting it, you know, I really want to hear you and I, and I'm 
kind of spacing out. Can I come back to it? Yeah, you know? or just I, I don't think have the those things right have now. to be <laughs> allowable because it's very emotional. And because, yeah, and it, sometimes it's not that you don't want to be there. You just, there are other circumstances or, yeah, I want to, I want to be present with you in this and I can't write at this moment. You know, could I, could I call you in an hour? Or could, could I come over tomorrow morning? Um, absolutely. And I think that's another thing that we just really try to put out there is, is that there's no, again, going back to the list, there's also no, like, there's no checklist for grieving. There's no checklist for, you know, these are the 10 ways to guarantee that you'll nail it when you try to support right. someone. It's, it's just about developing, I think, that sense of authenticity and being able to have that conversation, to be able to say authentically, I, I, I want to be there for you, but I can't at this moment, or, Hey, I tried to be there for you yesterday and reflecting on it. I really blew it. And I want, I don't want to leave you with, you know, with those words. And, and I understand that I can't take back something that came out wrong, but um, you know, I, I don't want to just walk away from that and never touch it again. So even though I said this and it didn't come off right, what I really meant is I care about you and I'm, I'm trying and I don't know what to do, but, um, you know, I know that wasn't it, but I'll, I'll keep trying. I'll keep trying. Yeah. I think that's, that's vital. And none of us likes to be imperfect, right. And yeah, especially in this culture, let's, let's share a little more from the, um, from the film, because I'm thinking about, um, uh, you know, part of the complication of, of hearing someone in deep grief is the amount of pain they're in mm. and, and wanting to um, get them through that as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, cheer it up, make it, make it better, fix it. Uh, fix it. And um, so I feel that your film kind of captured the depth of what people feel, but also made it seem doable to just let it stand. Mm -hmm. This part really, really, really hurts. And I think this, um, this, this next clip, Beatrice, uh, is important because of how she had to learn to let it stand herself, right? Mm -hmm. With her kids. Mm -hmm. um, so let's share that. Do you want to say anything about it? Before? Yeah, I'll just, yeah. So Beatrice um, uh, uh, lost her brother. He um, died by suicide. I, don't, I, don't, I can't recall if that part is in the clip. Um, and she yeah. is her and her husband are featured throughout the documentary and are, are also on the website um, about, you know, both of their unique journeys with him losing his brother-in-law and her losing her brother and how, you know, how they went through um, their grief differently and how they managed it with also raising their family. Let's have that clip. For me, there were some periods of isolation. And sometimes I just wanted to cry and I wanted to get the emotions out. And it's very difficult to do that when you have small children. I had to explain to them that there are some days where I remember my brother and it hurts. And I cry. And I cry because I love him. I think we have this idea that when something hurts, it means there's something wrong with you. That grief feels bad a lot of the time doesn't mean that it is bad. Grief is the experience that we all have anytime we lose something that we love. And it's part of being alive. It's part of being human. You know, I, 
since I work a lot with adults who've had losses uh, when they were children, mm. just by by way of uh, that's one way that people come into grief counseling, mm-hmm. try to piece together and they don't always know it, right? It's mm-hmm. some other problem, but at the heart of it is grief. Uh, and I would say, I, I've tried to remember a time when uh, there was open conversation about the loss and those kind of, you know, parents saying, of course it hurts. And of course we mm-hmm. miss, it. you know, I'm trying to remember a time when someone came uh, for grief counseling about a childhood loss that had that experience. I think that hopefully is, is changing, but I know um, as you talk about that, I'm thinking of a gentleman who's, who's we're working on his profile right now. He's not in the film, but he'll be on our website. And his first loss was when he was 11. His, um, his brother was murdered. And then he's now in his, I think late sixties. And he hadn't ever really spoken about grief or gotten any kind of grief support until his mother died a couple of years ago. And then he realized, as you said, how much of his life, and he'd lost a whole slew of other people between those two losses. Um, but never had been given an opportunity to speak about it or address it or even again, name it as a grief experience and what a difference it made for him to be able to start unwrapping some of these things that had been um, not even buried, just like unacknowledged. Um, I think we don't, we don't even acknowledge again. I think we also tend to just downplay our own grief a lot. But when I think about it, um, what's the message to a child if you don't acknowledge the grief, the messages don't have it. Exactly. Or that these feelings are, are <laughs> it's, bad. You it's, know, it's again, bad, we, it's wrong. We Ooh, love to categorize, what? you know, you can't, you know, you, or even anger, you know, that yeah, you can't yeah, be yeah. angry, that it's yeah. bad. And, and we had um, an experience in my family, my extended family, um, within the last year where that came up and how to, how to express emotion, as Beatrice talked about in front of younger children, um, and, you know, and I, and I was kind of like, I'm, you know, I'm not a child psychologist, but I've talked to a lot of people. <laughs> you're, in this you're converted into it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, disclaimer, I'm, I'm just relaying information from, from greater minds than mine. But, you know, you know just think about that, that, the, that we think we have, to, we, and we do this for each other too, that we think we have to stay strong and then be absolutely and show the feelings. But yeah, exactly. As you said, if you think about the message, you know, that, that communicates to kids that, that it's not okay to have these feelings. Whereas if there can be more of an open dialogue where uh, like Beatrice said, if, yes. if they do see you cry, you know, I'm, I'm crying because I love her or I'm crying because it hurts and it's okay to cry when something you know, hurts. It's okay to get mad, you know? Yes. It, and it's time for a break, but I want to talk about that a little bit more when we come back, because that whole aspect of how to deal with illness, loss, you know, death with kids is a, is a very important subject to me. So let's come back to that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you can go to my Good Grief Host page out there uh, to find links to everything me. And to find Lindsay Whistle Fenton, you can go to speakinggrief.org. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Lindsay Whistlefenton to talk about her film, Speaking Grief. And uh, Lindsay, we were talking about kids before the break. Uh, In a second, I want to share the clip of a person who, you know, lost, lost his brother very young. Um, That, that sense that we can somehow, when I've seen kids afraid, it's usually because nobody is talking about it. And they get the idea that none of this stuff is handleable or that it's shameful or that that it's shameful yes yeah that we um and that's that's something you know going back to the beginning of our conversation with you know why would I care about this if I hadn't had a loss um I will I've always been grateful my mother's a retired nurse so I don't know if that factored in but I think just like we were more comfortable in our family talking about death you know she'd come she's a Dallas nurse so she'd come home sometimes like soaked in blood or be like, yeah, I had to give someone CPR today. And, uh, you know, so it was a little less, I think, taboo in our family. Um, than I in think a lot that of makes families. a big difference because you do yeah. have a pretty good sense of comfort. Well, and also that, you know, I, I've spent the last couple of years completely immersed in this space, but, but even that, you know, it's, it's hard because even now, you know, having learned a lot, it's like, I feel there are still times where I'm like, I know better. I know not to say these things or do these things, but they're so deeply ingrained. It's it's hard. But yeah, with kids, I think just making it okay to have feelings and to have, um, you know, again, even with the anger, I think that anger came up over and over in these, in these interviews and these conversations is, you know, I, I feel like that needs to sit right by side with what we think of with sadness as being the common feeling and grief. But I think we're even less tolerant of anger than we are of sadness, um, if that's possible in this culture that where we love to be happy all the time, um, that it's okay, you know, being open with kids about that too, you know, even saying, I, I'm not really sure why I'm angry right now, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm just angry that my person's not here. I'm just angry and, and letting that be okay to get out instead of inadvertently conveying that sense of, um, you know, we don't talk about this. It's, it's not Absolutely. okay. Absolutely. 
So, and let, let's hear the voice of this young man because um, he seemed to me to be so glad to be able to express mm-hmm. his feelings about le- losing his brother. Like he didn't seem hesitant at all. No, this was a family um, in Philadelphia. Um, Stephen Michael is the young man that we're going to hear from and his um, mother and grandmother died in a house fire. And so we interviewed him and his mom. Um, and they, uh, they came to us, uh, through recommendation from the uplift center for grieving children in Philadelphia. So I think, um, that experience of working with, um, with the child grief center was, was helpful to him because he was very open with, um, with being able to express his feelings and his grief. So, um, which you'll hear more from more about in this clip. I miss the names that he would call me. When I found out, I was very emotional. I went down to my knees, started crying. I loved him so dearly. Mostly people that don't know me but knows the death that I went through, they just be like, don't cry, be a man. But. It doesn't really matter about being male or female. It's just how the person grieves. It's just how the person grieves. I mm. love that. And also, I miss the names that he would call me. That's so uh, beautiful. That one, that got me as a, as a little sister. Um, you know, I have my older brother and that just, I think if you have siblings that just resonated um, so much, but um, you know, I was thinking, listening to that too, that we're talking about kids not feeling like it's okay to talk about grief, you know, we carry, carry that with us. And that, I think that's why we are so kind of stunted in our, in our conversations about grief, but something that has been amazing in this project is I've seen so many times, if you even open that door, people want to talk about this. That was, that was kind of a, early on in the development of this, we had a lot of conversations about like, well, you know, people don't really like talking about grief. And the, the thing is like, we do, we just aren't ever, <laughs> it's, it's like, it, you, you know, so many times people have, have stopped me and just shared things that, you know, that they, you can tell that they don't get to talk about very often. Um, and I always say, I'm like, I'm an introvert. So I'm kind of weird. And that like the thing with introverts is that we don't like small talk. So I'm like, I would actually much rather have a like deep meaning of life conversation with someone, even someone I don't know that well, than um, you know, chat about more, I guess, socially acceptable things. Um, So, you know, it's, it's just interesting that we have this perception that we're not supposed to, but there's clearly such an innate human need to have these conversations. Um, it's, it's just sort of a, a fascinating um, dichotomy that we have around grief in our society. And, and that isn't necessarily entirely the same in every place. Um, you know, for instance, the, the film Coco, which I happened to see with my wife's family uh, right before my mother-in-law died. Mm. So it's very meaningful. But in that way of coming at grief, you have agreed upon times mm. to connect with your people. Uh, and, and I think that's important that, that you're 
loved ones still be integrated into your life in some way? Uh, I mean, maybe that's why I do the show. Who knows? Yeah, and <laughs> I know? love that you do the show. And I think that too is like, because we have such a misunderstanding when people do make those efforts to integrate their person coming at it from the outside, it's very easy to to slip into a judgmental space or because grief is so unique to slip into that space and sort of falling into the trap of like, well, that's not how I would do it, you know? And, and I'm thinking of a, I think it might be on our going on our website. There's a, um, a grandmother we interviewed whose, whose granddaughter was stillborn. And she talked about um, her other daughter would sleep with the onesie of what would have been her niece um, or yeah, I'm sorry. What, what was her niece? What would have been her niece's onesie? Um, um, every night and a, a friend commenting that, oh, well, that's not healthy for her to sleep with that onesie. And she said, well, why not? Like that makes her feel connected to Nova, who's, who's the um, the granddaughter or the niece, you know, it makes her feel connected to someone she loves. Why is that a bad thing? I remember once hearing about a woman whose son, who was adult, but lived with her, uh, he died and she put out a place for him at the table every night at dinner. Mm. Yeah. And uh, she was not stuck in her grief. I think that's a misunderstanding. Can Absolutely. people get stuck? Yes, people can get stuck, but usually because they're not doing those things. Because they're somehow, they have that impulse, but they don't, they don't feed it. They don't allow it. And uh, yeah, so many people... So many people in the film have shared that either, even if it's not, you know, every night, but on holidays that they'll still, still set an extra place or they'll put up a stocking or they'll um, do any number of those things um, that absolutely I think is is way more normal than, and I hate the word normal in this space, but, you know, I do try to use it <laughs> just to like to reassure that it's, you know, it's, it's like, we just don't talk about it, but yeah, that's, um, I, I think it's beautiful to maintain that connection. I really think, and we talk about this in the film, is I think if we can reframe grief as just being an aspect of love, um, that that makes it less scary for people if they haven't been there. You know, if, if you just think about holding on to, to an aspect of someone you love versus, oh, why are you, yeah, why are you stuck in setting a place for it? It's like, well, no, I'm just still, um, that's, that's another story that's going on our website um, is a, uh, um, someone whose mother died and he still prepares meals and, and sits with her, um, you know, her presence or, or shares things with her. And, and that's what a beautiful way to maintain that relationship. My mother died when my first grandson, I now have three grandchildren, but he was uh, two. Mm. Um, and so he did know her and she did meet the next one who's two years down, but they don't really know her. <laughs> um, but my, uh, my daughter um, has ways of keeping that relationship going. Like when she makes apple pie, she talks about her because that's where that tradition started oh. in the family. Uh, when she takes out the Christmas decorations that came from my mom, you know, she'll say this was Gigi Ma's. Uh, and they're very fluid about talking with about her as a result. They have a relationship with her. I love that. And that's all it is. It's just a relationship. You know, there's nothing morbid. I have, um, we're actually coming up um, on the 30th. I had a, um, a cousin who passed away um, very suddenly at a young age. And I have his picture out and I see it every single day when I um, walk down, as I do with my grandmothers, you know, who, um, 
And I don't do that as much, but I'll do that, you know, especially my one grandma, she loved Christmas. So there's times at Christmas, we're just kind of out loud. I'll just be walking through the hall and I'll see my Christmas tree and I'll just say, I miss you, grandma. You know, it's just, there's nothing, it's just love. It's just a relationship in a different form. I love that. Yeah, that's certainly my point of view about it, that, uh, you know, it's it's kind of an an amputation if you cut off mm. the love as as well as the body, the physical. Well, <laughs> and when you shame it as love and you think about how cruel that is, you know, and again, and I, I, I we're not trying to shame people, but I think people don't realize that when they're showing up to support someone is if you think about saying you can't love this person anymore. Like when we try to shut down grief, that's kind of what you're doing. And so I think that's just, you know, to recalibrate how we come to it is, is think about thinking about it like that, that, um, that yeah, telling someone that they can't grieve or they're not doing their grief right air quotes, you know, is no different than saying that you, you don't have a right to love this person anymore. And I suppose a lot of that has to do with your own level of comfort, uh, you know, living next to illness for 10 years and then grieving and then mm-hmm. doing this work. Uh, people can feel any kind of way around me, but yeah, <laughs> I don't think that that's what we're trained to as a, as a culture. Oh, now you're sad. Oh, now you're angry. Oh, now you're hurt. Oh, now you're feeling good. You know, we're, we're not very fluid with that. And so or that- just yeah, just the sitting is you touched on earlier. The sitting with someone as they're in pain that was something that that came up several times where we may not always know what to do or how to show up for someone, but so many people shared, and I've had this in in my own grief experiences is that comfort of just having someone sit with you and maybe not say anything and or just sit with you and let you cry and not you know maybe pass you the the Kleenex but not try to do anything just to stop it and just let you get it out what a amazing courageous beautiful act of love that is um but we're it, it, it's horrible and it's horrible i you know i've been on the other <laughs> side of that sitting with people as they're in pain and and just accepting that there's absolutely nothing you can do about it but at least you can allow them to be in pain and not an isolation i i think one way the conversation needs to change is that that needs to be seen as doing something. Listening is the biggest, yes. the biggest gift you can give a person. And it's hard yeah, to do. Like, give yourself credit. If you listen to someone, oh, no. you're doing yeah. a hard and it, job. No, <laughs> so and I think maybe you and I can change that whole thing, huh? I hope so. Thank you so. so much for being with me today. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, this was it. great. Thank Go you to, so much for the opportunity. You're welcome. Go to speakinggrief.org because there's a lot of content that's being put up. It's it's a community community conversation that's only just beginning. So uh, go and check it out. Next week, I'll have Susan Falter. After her daughter died at 22, she was stopped in her tracks. She needed to learn how to take care of herself. The result, her book and podcast, The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. 